0: Well, good morning. good morning. Turn, if you would, to, in your Bibles to Malachi. I almost always have trouble with uh, technology, but uh, this time uh, my computer decided not to download the, the uh, PowerPoint. So save us the problem. But we'll be looking at four different passages of Scripture And we're going to begin here in Malachi. We're going to read uh, in chapter 3, the first uh, two verses. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. Go over to chapter 4 and the last two verses. I'm sorry, verse 5. Behold, I'm going to send you a light to the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that we look back to the birth of the Lord Jesus. We look back to the cross of the Lord Jesus. And we know you keep your promises. And so we pray as we look at... Uh, some people who were looking ahead to his coming, that you might challenge our own hearts. And so we ask for your blessing uh, on this morning hour because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, if you would, over to Galatians chapter 4. And while you're turning... Randy, uh, a couple weeks ago, looked at the the kind of the promise of the Lord's coming and looked at some of the prophecies. Here are two more in in Malachi. And um, Malachi was the last of the Old Testament prophets. He prophesied around 400 B.C. And his prophecy, as we read, uh, he talked about other things. He talked about what a terrible time it was. Uh, the heart of the people. He even at one point in, in Malachi says, I wish they would shut the doors to my temple because you're bringing worthless sacrifices. Your, your hearts are far from me. But included in that was I'm sending someone. The one that's been promised, he's coming. And then there's 400 years of Silence. But one of the things we learn in the birth of the Lord Jesus was it was not a silence of forgetfulness. Nor was it a silence of indifference. It was a silence of preparation. And so you come to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And he uses a phrase there, the fullness of time. And in the context of of Genesis 4, if you go up to verse 1 of, of Galatians 4, it says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he's owner of everything, but is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. And so Paul is using the illustration of, of a child in a Roman family. Now the Jews, when a, a young boy or a young girl became an adult, they had the bar mitzvah or the bath mitzvah and, and had a party and celebrated that. But in, in Roman society, it was up to the father. Usually somewhere between 14 and 17, the father would declare the son having full legal, legal rights in the family as an adult. But he chose the date. And Paul is using this imagery about the coming of the son, the Lord Jesus, to earth. The father set the date at the fullness of time. And just as a a Roman father would look at his son and see if the time was right, God was not looking at his son because his son was always perfect, always right. But he was looking at the world. And God, who superintends all of history, prepared the world for the coming of his son. One of the ways we see this is in the fact that God prepared the rise and fall of nations. He revealed that to Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, there's the the vision of the great statue. And God tells Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel the history of the world that's coming. After Babylon, there's going to be another uh empire called Persia, and after Persia, there's going to be another one called Greece, where the Greeks are going to rule, and after that is going to be Rome. And, and again in chapter 8, he, he shows a ram with two horns, one longer than the other, uh, picturing the Persian empire, um, where, where the Persians outdo the Medes. And it really becomes, instead of the Medo-Persian Empire, the Persian Empire. And then there's this goat who's coming so fast his feet don't even touch the ground with one big horn, and that's Alexander the Great, who crushes the Persian Empire in a startling fast way, all the way from Egypt to India. And at the height of his power, at age 32, he dies. And that horn in, in Daniel's vision is split into four parts, and Daniel's, kingdom is turned over to uh, his four generals. They divide up his empire. And then Rome comes. And every one of these empires uh, had a, a part in it. Now, Rome took care of the whole western part of the Mediterranean, but the old Persian empire still existed. We called it the Parthian empire. The Roman empire and the Parthian empire were at war, and we'll talk about that briefly in just a minute, but each one of these empires brought something that was important. It was during the time in Persia that the Jews of the Diaspora developed the synagogue system, and so synagogues began to appear wherever there were 10 Jews, 10 Jewish men, and in the synagogue they proclaimed monotheism, and they talked about the coming hope of the Messiah coming. And the whole world, all across the Parthian Empire, all across the Roman Empire, wherever there were groups of Jews, they began to hear this message. There's one God, and he's promised to send a king. And when the gospel went forth, where did Paul go at the first? He went to the synagogue because they knew the Old Testament scriptures. They knew the promises of this coming king. They knew, uh, and there were Gentile uh, converts there. And it opened the door for the message of the gospel. Greece brought Greek language. Alexander the Great and his generals really wanted to bring Persian or uh, Greek culture to the world. And so uh, Greek became kind of like English is today. The whole internet is English. And English is one of the dominant languages of of this planet. And and uh, Greek became that. Throughout the Roman Empire and beyond, allowing the message of the New Testament to spread quickly. And in Rome, you've heard perhaps of Pax Romana or the Peace of Rome. The Mediterranean was beset by pirates. Rome wiped them out. The roads of the empire were beset by bandits. Rome wiped them out. Rome built roads they're still using today to connect all the cities with a good road system, which really, again, opened up the door for the spread of the gospel. And so God was at work preparing the world for his son to come. Turn, if you would, back to uh, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at some people who were looking for this coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And what I really want you to get out of this first part is that Christ's birth at Bethlehem at this time was not an accident, it was an appointment. God oversaw all of history to bring his son at the right point. And when you have to wait... One of the lessons we learn from the birth of the Lord is it is never a weight of indifference by God. It is never a weight of forgetfulness by God. They waited 400 years, and there wasn't another single message from God. His last message to them was, he's coming. And then Nothing. And so we're going to run in to some people who were looking for the Messiah. And there's lots of possible candidates. We could look at Zacharias and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. And in Luke chapter 1, he, he has that wonderful prophecy beginning at verse 67 that talks about uh, the one that his son, John, is going to be the, the forerunner of, as Malachi predicted. Or we could look at jo- Mary and Joseph, uh, especially in light of her Uh, song, the Magnificat, chapter 1 of Luke, verses 46 to to 55. Uh, Again, another uh, wonderful um, statement about the coming of of the Lord Jesus. Uh, And certainly those people were people who were looking for the coming of Christ. But we want to look at two groups of people who certainly were looking for the Lord's coming. So in Luke chapter 2, beginning at Verse 25, and there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. And notice the third description, looking for the constellation of Israel. This man was righteous. That means he was right in his dealings with humans. That's a horizontal relationship. He, He was righteous. He was devout. That's his relationship to God. He was committed to God. He he was sensitive to God. And he was a man who was looking for God to keep his promise and send someone to help Israel under the boot of Rome. A very dark time. The religious leaders were were far away from God, using the temple for their, their own financial gain. It was a very dark time. But there were people who said, God has promised and he's going to do it. And this man had another thing that was very interesting about him. The end of verse 25, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, arrested on him. That was very unusual in the Old Testament. It only happened to a few. And, and usually it was to allow them to perform some act. On God's behalf. Not like today where if you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Spirit of God takes up permanent residence in your life. But the Spirit of God was resting on him, verse 26, and it had revealed to him, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The word Christ is the word, the Greek word uh, translating Messiah, the anointed one. And so somewhere along as he studied the scriptures, as he meditated in his own heart, the Spirit of God began building in his life this confidence, you're not going to die till you see God keep his promise. You are going to see the promised one, the one 400 years ago that Malachi spoke of, the one that uh, 300 years before that, Isaiah spoke of. You're going to see the Messiah of Israel. And then the Spirit of God guided him. Verse 27, he came in the Spirit into the temple. And where the parents had brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him in his arms and blessed God. So he's led by the Spirit to come up to the temple on that particular day. And that's the day that Joseph and Mary are coming into the temple. It's 40 days after the birth. She's going to be purified of her uh, uncleanness from the birth. Uh, They'll offer a sacrifice for that, uh, two turtle doves, and then they will present him before the Lord. And as they come into the temple on that day, God has Simeon there waiting. And Simeon takes... The Lord Jesus into his arms, this little baby. And notice what he says Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. You've kept your promise to me. I can die because I have seen the Messiah. Verse 30 For my eyes. Have seen your salvation. Isn't it interesting? Before the Lord Jesus was born, God talked about salvation through Jesus. He said to to Joseph, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. You shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. On the night he was born, he'll say to a group of the angel, will say to a group of shepherds, Today is born for you in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. So not only before the Lord's birth did they talk about him being a Savior, on the very night of his birth, they talked about him being a Savior. And now, 40 days later, as this man, by the Spirit of God, blesses God, he says, you're doing a work. You are bringing salvation to earth. And notice how how widely he sees this which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. The angel said, we bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. God's going to keep his promise to Israel. There'll be a kingdom. This is the king. This is the one that was promised. This is the one who's going to bring in the kingdom for Israel. And this is the one who's going to be a light to the Gentiles. Aren't you glad that's there? I don't think there's probably too many Jewish people here. But he said, listen, this one's going to bring the knowledge, the true knowledge of God, the true knowledge of of the truth of who we are, what's wrong with our world, and what our desperate need is. We need a Savior, and this is the one. And so he blesses God for what God has done. And then he has a little message for Joseph and Mary. Verse 3:3 his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him, about this baby. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel, for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul, so that the end, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. He said, This child, Mary, he's gonna, he's going to be a sign, a sign of, of the Father. He's going to to be one who points to the Father, who, who reveals the Father, and he's going to be opposed. They're not going to listen to him. They're not going to respond to him. In fact, he's going to be a divider. People are going to come to this one, and they're either going to fall. They reject him, they're going to fall. They're not going to be part of the kingdom, or they're going to rise. Those that receive him Will, will be part of the kingdom of God. He's going to be a divider of men. And your own soul is going to be pierced as, as like with a sword, speaking of, of her sorrow at the cross. But Jesus Christ brings salvation. But you know, for those that reject him, he brings condemnation. He brings judgment. He divides. And then he says that, at the very end, he says that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You know, I can't tell where your hearts are. But God says the test of a heart is how they respond to Jesus Christ. How you respond to Jesus Christ reveals what God sees in your heart. Either a a double-fisted, no, I'll do it my way, I will be king, or a bowing of the knee. You're my savior, you're my king. And so Simeon is waiting. And then notice the next one who shows up. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanael of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84. This woman, she was a prophetess. I have no idea what, what she prophesied, what God used her to, to speak about. But um, she had gotten married. She had lived with her husband for seven years. And then there's a question, is is he saying that she's 84 at this minute or she lived 84 years after she was married, uh, which would put her at over 105. Uh, I I think it's probably most likely that she was 84. Uh, But notice what it says. She never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. I suspect what she was praying about Verse 38, in that very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak to him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She was looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. She was part of a group who were looking, who understood there's one was going to come and they were gonna, he was going to rescue Jerusalem. Jerusalem was in terrible state. She saw all the, all the things going on in the temple. But there was one, as, as Malachi said, who was going to be like a refiner's fire, a fuller's soap, who was going to fix things. And now she sees him. And and by the Spirit of God, she recognizes, maybe she heard what Simeon said, but she recognizes this baby is the one. And you know what? All the people who were looking in Jerusalem knew each other. They were talking about it. They were sharing about it. They were asking God for it. Well, let's look at one other group real quickly. Go back to Matthew chapter 2. She gave thanks, Anna did. Why? Because God was keeping his promises. And in Matthew chapter 2, we have a group of Gentiles. We've seen Jews, and so God gives us a group of Gentiles who came seeking the Lord. We sang about that song, um, The Visit of the Magi. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Who were the magi? Well, if you drive past my house, even though they weren't there, as we'll see later on the night when the shepherds showed up, you'll see three men who are the, the magi. Uh, Tradition says three, probably because of three gifts, even gives them the name uh, Gaspar or Casper, Melchior, and Balthazar. Um, Herodotus tells us the Magi were a priestly tribe in, in Media, in the Parthian Empire, and no king could serve as king of the Parthian Empire without their approval. Uh, John MacArthur believes that there were probably 30 or 40 of them with their, all their entourage arriving in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that's been born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Rome and Parthia fought dozens of little boars. Israel was really a border country guarding the Roman Empire from the Persians. In 37... Um, B.C., two brothers were vying for control of, of Israel, the Maccabeans, and one had the support of Rome, and the other got the Parthians to come and conquer Israel and kick his brother off the throne. Herod the Great took his family to Masada and put them there, a fortress, and beat feet to Rome, asking the Roman Senate for an army to reconquer Syria and Israel for for Rome. And so Rome declared him king of the Jews. And he led this army with with some Roman generals and drove the Parthians out. But there was always this tension. Parthia was right there. Several times Rome had advanced into Parthia and been beaten back, and Parthia had advanced in the Roman territory and been beaten back. And here's Herod the Great a usurper. He has no connection to the line of David at all. He's an Edomite. And these Parthian kingmakers show up in Jerusalem saying, where's he born? King of the Jews. We've come to worship him. And notice what it says. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And so he gathered together the chief priests and scribes of the people, inquired them where the Messiah was to be born. They said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what's written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod calls him in and says, Go find him, and when you find him, come and get me, because I'm going to want to worship him too. And so they go, and And the star appears and leads them. Notice it's over the house. They're no longer in the manger. These guys showed up. Joseph and Mary didn't have enough money to buy a regular sacrifice when they went up 40 days after the Lord was born. They bought turtle doves. So these guys didn't show up with their gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's at least 40 days. Could well be uh, six, seven months after the birth. They're living in a house. And it's, it's, they found the child, not a baby, a child. And notice what it says, verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country another way. And so Herod will kill all the children two years old and younger because he asked them, when did you first see the star? How did they know about the Lord Jesus? How did they know about the birth of this king? Well, the, the magi were very interested in the study of the stars and, and their possible effect on mankind. But there were sources of information. Balaam, who was from that part of the world prophesied in Numbers twenty four, seventeen, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. They very possibly could have known about the the prophecies of Daniel, Daniel and in, in Daniel two, after laying out the future of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, and, and they would be able to see that from hindsight now in verse 44 said in the days of those kings the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed pictured as a stone cut without hands why did they come? well they came to worship they came to worship and they came to bring gifts Gold and frankincense and myrrh were all forms of wealth that were easily transportable. So when the family flees to Egypt, they have wealth that they can easily dispense little by little to support them. But they came to worship because this is an important king. This is an important king that's been prophesied about. This is an important king that God is bringing into the world I want you to go back to Malachi chapter 3 again as we kind of close. We're looking at two messages. This week we're looking at those who were looking for the Lord's first coming. They were looking for the Messiah. And next week we're going to look, talk about those who are looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, God has given us promises just like he gave Israel. And God is is wanting us to be faithful and looking for the keeping of his promises. Uh, Malachi chapter three, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and esteem his name, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day I prepare my own possession. In Malachi's day, as God spoke through Malachi to the people of that day, a very dark time, calling them to obedience, calling them to trusting him, giving them the promise of this coming one. God took note of those who listened to God's word, who listened to to God's promises, who trusted in God. They feared him, and they honored his name by trusting his promises. And God took special notice of them. He he had them written down in a book. And he said, there's going to be um, some recognition in a future day. And as you look at the people who were waiting for the Lord's coming, you see the same thing. Simeon was honored. He had an opportunity to hold the baby in his arms. Anna was able to, to see that baby and tell the people in Jerusalem who were waiting, he's here. Simeon has held him. I have seen him. The Magi who, who heard these prophecies and, and studied the stars and, and were willing to, I'd, I don't know if you'd be willing to walk for five months, to get to a place to see a baby who's been born, but they were. And God honored them. We're told in the New Testament that uh, Christ is coming again and there'll be a special crown for those who long for his coming. And as we study these people who waited You know, a long wait, it's not indifference, it's not forgetfulness. God's at work preparing the time for his son to come. And God's still at work preparing the time for his son to come. God knows whether we're distracted by the now or whether we really hold on to that, that he's coming, that even so come, Lord Jesus and these people are, are just a, a witness to us. But that first coming goes beyond that. If, if I could have you put up song 152. There's a, there's a song. I'm going to ask my daughter to come sing it to you. It's, it's not a Christmas song that um, we often sing. It's I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Uh, the first verse says, I hear the Bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And and we did that, didn't we? We sang that song, and and everybody was smiling, and, and it was nice to sing that song. Go to the third verse. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth goodwill to men henry wadsworth longfellow in march of 19 or 1861 was taking a nap when he heard his wife scream some hot wax from some candles she was moving had fell you know those big dresses that hoop dresses and caught on fire he raced in he, he grabbed a rug to try to smother the fire. He tried to smother the fire with his, his own body. They had been married 18 years. They had six children together. He was devoted to her. She died three days later of, of the severity of the wounds. He was scarred. Uh, he actually grew a beard because his face was so scarred from, from the flames that, as he had tried to put them out. Uh, His sorrow was so great, he was afraid they were going to institutionalize him in an asylum. 1863 comes, the the whole United States is at war, in a terrible civil war. His son, without his permission, goes. they live up in Massachusetts, goes to Washington, D.C., and enters uh, the Union Army. And he leaves a letter for his dad. Uh, his son got sick, came home, recovered, went back. In November of eighteen sixty three, at a battle, he was shot, and, and the bullet nicked his spinal column, his spinal cord. And Henry Wadsworth Longfellow gets word and, and that his son is coming by train up to washington dC. to the hospitals there. And, and he races down, and he talks to one of the doctors, and the doctor says it's very serious. He may be paralyzed the rest of his life if he survives. He goes home, and the next morning, it's Christmas Day, and he hears all the bells ringing. And, and he says, there's no peace on earth. My whole country's at war. My son is perhaps going to be paralyzed. My wife is, is dead. Go to the fourth verse. Then peeled the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Those people in Jesus' day believed that. Because God had said. They looked ahead. And despite all the darkness around them. They trusted. The promises of God. There is a savior coming. And today I can tell you. There, a savior has come. And we can look at the cross. And see exactly the cost. And if you're here. God knows your heart because he knows your response to the Lord Jesus. And if you're here without Jesus Christ, I would encourage you, this is a good time to look at the the truth of the word of God. Come to him.